we had a world-class sailboat and the wind died, you know, and it didn't mean the boat was any worse. It didn't mean the crew was bad or lacking. It's the one thing we can't control. We can't control the wind. Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. With each episode, our diverse and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus and decisively defeat that voice that we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Southwestern Advantage is about so much more than just helping your family with education. Our company is the nation's oldest entrepreneurial program, helping college and university students build character and develop the skills they need to achieve their goals in life. These are the kind of skills employers seek that cannot be taught in a classroom. Skills such as problem solving, effective personal communication with people from all walks of life, confidence, attitude, goal setting, and more. Since 1855, the Southwestern Family of Companies has invested in purpose-driven people who are inspired to build principle-guided businesses that impact the world. And for many, that purpose started with a summer at Southwestern Advantage. But this program isn't just about growing the young men and women whom you'll see in the community. It's also about growing your own son or daughter and the educational resources they will bring to your home are second to none with learning systems that address the whole child from preschool to 12th grade. Uniquely designed by top educators, these resources serve the modern needs of today's private, public, and homeschooled students. They're kid approved, parent preferred, and teacher recommended. At Southwestern Advantage and the Southwestern Family of Companies, We invest in building people and inspire them to achieve their goals in life to positively impact the world. Learn more at southwesternadvantage.com slash action. On today's show, host Dan Moore is joined by Nathan Foy, an author, entrepreneur, and the founder of Fortis, a business honored by Inc. Magazine that is one of America's fastest growing companies. Fortis provides tens of thousands of secure trips in over 100 countries each year to clientele worth more than half a trillion dollars, and offers ground transportation to more private jet owners than any other service in the world. Nathan's first book, What Rich Clients Want, But Won't Tell You, translates the Fortis experience into a business model anyone can recreate. We hope you enjoy. Nathan Foy, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be with you. I think our paths crossed over 20 years ago when you were part of the Southwestern Advantage Summertime Program. So to see you now, like me, a little grayer, a little wiser, a little more established. It's wonderful and so excited about all the success you've had with Fortis. We're looking forward to hearing all about that. You said gray hair and wisdom. One out of two ain't bad. (laughs) Really what our whole program is about is providing inspiration for individuals in all different situations of life. And it's always helpful to find out what some of the major pivot points in your own life were. Because I know you were a student, I think, at Emory when you first got involved with our program. But now Fortis, which has been in the Inc. 5000 for nine years in a row, more than any company based in your state, is a pretty incredible story. Well, first, let me say, Dan, it's an honor to speak with you because that college experience that I had, I could point to many different instances. Your challenge one year to uh, treat college like a job from eight to five and either be in the library or in class or doing campus work. I took that challenge and I did that. And uh, it's a privilege to talk to you about that. When I was a bookman, my second year, 
I didn't give it 100% my first year. Mediocrity was sitting on my shoulder talking to me quite a bit. I listened to him a lot more the first summer. The second summer, I really felt convicted that no matter what the result of that second summer was, I would give 100% and just see what that actually looked like. And so it was a South Texas summer. Mexico was having wildfires. I had a zero day at five o'clock in the afternoon. I hadn't sold anything. And all I wanted to do was go to a mall and get a milkshake. (laughs) I read my note that I wrote myself about my commitment. I said, look, it's not, I can't control that. I can just control that. I just do what I said I'm going to do and work the hours I said I was going to work. That evening, I had the best day I ever had up to that point. I was number one in my organization that week. And that day, I always say, if I had sloughed off that day, I think my life would be different. I think it was that important to dig down deep and see if I could truly give 100% to kind of test my mettle, frankly, to see if I could even become an entrepreneur. And Southwestern was kind of a proving ground for me for that. Everybody has their milkshake moment. And, and we, made a, <laughs> we made a decision to go back into the jaws of defeat, and so to speak, and salvage a fantastic day. Well done. Well, thanks. I had a lot of great people around me that helped to inspire me to, to do just that. Uh, after college, I started Fortis as a prepaid taxicab card for college students. This was in 2000, and the uh, prepaid meal cards or prepaid phone cards, especially for young people, were all the rage. And I thought, well, there ought to be a prepaid transportation card. So I sent a letter to the incoming freshman parents at Emory and said, hey, I've got this card and I've got a local taxicab company that'll accept it. I got a little bit of a response on that. I think I had nine signups off of one mailing. And so I raised money from friends and family. I think there's about 18 to 20 Southwestern alumni that are investors in Fortis from the spring of 2001. And all of that money was geared to the fall move-in season of 2001 because the kids don't have any money. You've got to sell to the parents when they move their kids into school. And so we had a network of cab companies up and down the East Coast in major U.S. cities like Boston, Philly, New York, and it was going reasonably well. And then 9-11 happened and Mm -hmm. the bottom fell out. Parents weren't traveling to see their kids for parents' weekends. There was an anthrax scare, so direct mail completely went to nil. And I was literally on my knees just asking God, what am I supposed to do? You know, Because it felt really crummy to lose money for my friends and family. Uh, And I really felt convicted that although I'd become a Christian a few years earlier, I was doing this for my own glory and my own ends, and that this was really God's company and I was here to steward it. And so I said, okay, well, I will will run this as your steward. Let's do that. And so I took a bridge loan from one of the Southwestern investors. I made a deal with the local cab company in Atlanta to sell their corporate accounts, the ones that they invoice on my taxi cab card. Nobody gives away their client list, right? So they gave me their client list. I called 300 clients. I signed up two of them, and one of them wanted chauffeured cars instead of taxi cabs. So I'm 22. I knew nothing about chauffeured cars, but I said, sure, I'll set you up chauffeured cars. And one referral led to another, and that was the first uh, private aviation company that we got. And this was now early 2002. TSA had started, and a lot of people that had the means were choosing to charter aircraft rather than to fly commercial. And they didn't know who should pick them up on the backside. And so that was really the genesis of Fortis was becoming uh, chauffeurs and security for really the world's most discerning travelers. Started because we failed into it and had to pivot. (laughs) I love that term, failed into it. That's right. Wasn't part of a grand plan. No. Or at least my grand plan. (laughs) A lot of things 
turned out way better than our grand plan might have ever anticipated. Absolutely. Can you share a little bit more, Nathan, about your, your thought process when you were facing all these setbacks? Because everybody hits brick walls once in a while. And for some people, the brick wall is, is sort of the end. But other people develop coping strategies, ways to get around it or, or through it or take a different course. What can you suggest or share with us about what we should do or what worked for you when we hit these unexpected brick walls? I think it's good to have a network of support of people that you can lean on and talk to. Uh, it's funny, we're talking now on Sunday night, I had dinner with my dad and I was reminding him, I said, dad, you know, there is this one point in the fall of 2001 where I just called you at work and I said, I don't know if this is going to work out and I don't, I don't know if this is what I should be doing. And you just said to me, you raised money, you told people that this is what you're doing, so go do it. You know, I mean, you weren't rude about it, but like it was very direct. And and I just kind of got off the phone and I said, he's right. I did raise money. I said I would do this, so I've got to go do it. You know, something about hearing just somebody else put that into words motivated me and helped get me out of my own headspace of of maybe thinking dire thoughts I shouldn't be thinking. But if I didn't have people that could hold me accountable and challenge me, that would have been a lot tougher. Mm-hmm. So the moral of the story is reach out, don't close up when you're faced with these setbacks, get some other people involved because they have a perspective that we often don't have. Absolutely. Now you've had spectacular growth with your company and it's not a niche that is uncrowded. You know, there's lots of people that are trying to do what you're doing. Can you share some things that you feel like have helped you and your business keep this edge so that you continue your growth, continue providing great service for your clients? I think you have to be relentlessly skeptical about your own efforts and always willing to learn about there's a better way to do it. You can take this from something over there and incorporate it into what you're doing and refine, refine, refine. You can never really stop that. So as soon as you start to believe accolades or you know to think that you've attained a level of service that puts you above the competition... I think that's actually maybe other than quitting or thinking about quitting, you know, the most dangerous point. So one example of that for us in 2015, we had a few clients that just said, you know, we've been using you. We understand your service. We just don't think you're worth what you're charging. That one stung a little bit because we hadn't had that up until that point. People that had grown deep into a relationship, they knew we were a premium service, but they weren't really reluctant to pay our pricing. And through a variety of conversations that we had, and this was also in the wake of the uh, Paris attacks at the end of 2015, we understood that the main thing that we needed to communicate to our clients was that we were the most secure form of ground transportation. Literally, all we did was come up with a PDF with a few bullet points that somebody who's booking a private jet can send to the principal who is flying the private jet and say, this is why you should use Fortis. And, and for one client, we went from less than 50% of our quotes being accepted to about 80% acceptance. So, you know, I think if we had uh, dug in at that point and said, no, our pricing is our pricing. And if they want to leave, then, you know, let them leave. We wouldn't have found that deeper refinement that made us better. Mm -hmm. So you chose to take that criticism as not an attack, but as an opportunity. Absolutely. Key lesson there as well, because when you have a level of success as you've had, there can be a natural tendency to coast a bit. What, what, what are some things that, that you found helpful to avoid Mr. Mediocrity getting a foothold on that shoulder again and causing you to maybe give less than your best? So I think, you know, just as today, as in the beginning, when I went through those trials and those pivots, uh, having a support group, I'm in a, a CEO forum where we, you know, share everything. This could be personal struggles or professional struggles or child rearing struggles that you have and trade notes. And with that, with a group of people that you can be candid with, it's easy to be inspired. 
and to continue learning, that's extremely helpful. It's extremely helpful for me to set goals. We have a semester system here. So every six months, we're going over our goals for the semester and how are we tracking on each one. And just that discipline of every week or every two weeks, I've got to give an update on how my goals are doing. You know, that built-in accountability is something I don't think, at least I've never outgrown. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned leadership team. At what point did you know that you started to need to bring people on board? And, and what are some things that can help those people tie in and really be loyal and yet also feel a sense of ownership and independence? So I think we set up our leadership team about five years ago, and it reached a point where I realized that I have big ideas, I have big visions, but I was causing whiplash on the team. And sometimes I could walk into a meeting and kind of see them like, oh, what, what's he been thinking about today? You know, what did he have for breakfast? Because it's going to be a totally new thing. And so it helped to have a leadership team to kind of be, uh, you know, I think I think this was uh, one of the founding fathers called the Senate. This is like a saucer where the tea spills over, so it kind of cools down a little bit. So the, the leadership team kind of served that purpose, I think, for me. And then vice versa also helped me to get a little bit more intelligence about more broadly, you know, what is the perspective of somebody who's working frontline operations for us? What's the perspective of a client you just saw? And, and not just have to rely on myself more for that. So, you know, every Patrick Lencioni book, you know, I've read and I've marked up and, and pretty much done my best to implement. So in terms of incentives, we instituted a uh, profit share and, you know, in the travel business, we went to about a 95% decline and now we are above pre-COVID revenue numbers. Wow. So there's a humility that's built into that. But the thing I told the team is, is I said, you know, you guys have stuck with us through an incredibly tumultuous season. You've acted like owners, so we're going to treat you like owners. I think that's inspiring because, Nathan, a lot of really strong entrepreneurial types have this impression that they have all the answers and they know what to do. It's really hard to share. But your humility really came through a realization that you have certain strengths when other people do too. What were some of the things that you did to help people feel like owners instead of them collapsing in a sense of despair when the lockdown occurred and all the business went away? So I think it's really important to have a visual image that tells the story of what we're facing and just continue to cite that visual image. So the communication, I think, was very important. So our image was that we had a world-class sailboat and the wind died, you know, and it didn't mean the boat was any worse. It didn't mean the crew was bad or lacking. It's the one thing we can't control. We can't control the wind. Uh, I can't ultimately control if a state or country is going to lock down. And ultimately, I can't make a billionaire fire up his jet. You know, he's, he's got to want to do that. Uh, but then downstream from that, there's a lot of things that we can do for him. And so that metaphor, I think, just kind of helped us align because a super basic point I've learned is that if you don't capture the narrative, uh, the narrative is crafted for you and it never cuts in your favor. You know, you have to find that illustration, I think, that people can kind of latch on to. We were completely candid. We've always been more or less an open book company with our financials. We were upfront about, you know, this is the reality. This is what we're facing. In uh, Good to Great, I think he talks about the stock deal paradox of, you know, a focus on optimism, which Admiral Stockdale had when he was in uh, the Hanoi Hilton, but also a steely-eyed resolve on what the situation really is and holding those two in tension. And so we, we did that. And then practically, when we were down 95% volume, we used our network to do nurse rides in New York. We had chauffeurs that had nothing going. We knew that there was a lot of, uh, you know, this is when they had tents in Central Park. 
And we said, well, look, we have all this capacity. We have all this ability. Our people literally have almost nothing to do. Let's do something good with that. And that uh, became kind of a, a rallying point for us in those early days. Oh, I think that's so fantastic because it gets your mind off yourself and onto somebody that really needs the help. You are definitely part of the solution to this whole mess, Nathan. So thank you for that. Now, I'm kind of curious in terms of the personal perspective, you seem to have the ability to keep these ideas in mind, have the optimistic point of view, but also that realism that's so important. Do you have like a daily routine when you start your day, anything that gets your brain where you want it to be? So I usually am the first one awake in my house. And so I will get up and I do a quiet time of prayer and Bible reading. I know another guest that you've had was Michael Hyatt. I am a fan of his full focus planner. Uh, just about every day I have review the, the schedule, the calendar, my big three. What am I trying to do today? Big appointments, just review those, kind of mentally imagine what that's going to be like. That's basically it. Then I take the dog for a walk and start breakfast. I think that's perfect. The dog will not wait beyond a certain point anyway. <laughs> now, some of our listeners are just on top of the world right now, but there's some others that are looking at the hand that they've got and they can't find a single face card, let alone any aces whatsoever. What advice would you give to somebody right now that just doesn't know where else to turn? I think that ultimately knowing your purpose of why you work and, you know, in our company, we have a vision statement on our wall and it says that we are creating a legendary level of service for secure private travel. And then we have five display cases underneath that, tangible reminders of what that actually is. So probably to the 20-year-old me, that would seem cheesy, but I need that. And it's in our lobby. And every day I go out, I see that. And it reminds me, this is why we do what we do. And this is examples of that. And I think you have to really know, it can't be money. It can't be fame. It can't be beating your competitor. Those things will all just kind of fade away at a certain point and not have any meaning to you. So I think you have to really know why you're doing what you're doing. Just like my second summer of selling books, my purpose that summer was to give 100% and to prove to myself I could. And then if I sold five books all summer, if I had done that, I was a success. And that was my purpose. And in that moment of craving the milkshake, that helped me not to just give in to that temptation to remember the, the purpose that's there. And then I think too, I think I, it's always good to have a bias towards action. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in routines. And, you know, even if some days when you work out, maybe you don't feel like working out that day. And, you know, sometimes if you put on your gym clothes and go to the gym and you just do a little bit of your normal routine and maybe you didn't even do everything you wanted, but just you did that. Okay. I said I was going to go to the gym and do that today. I did that. It just helps to take the focus off yourself to have a routine that you can hang your hat on. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not too conscious at the start of the routine, consciousness comes as we get into it. Absolutely. Well, Nathan, this has been so inspiring to me to, to hear your story, to see how things have developed for you, and above all, the important work that you do, because secure travel is top priority for so many people, and business wouldn't happen if not for what you do. Thank you for that mission, but also thank you for the lessons that you've shared and the, and the good that you do in the world. Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, again, you and Southwestern are part of that. One of the reasons I started Fortis is I did the career planning exercise that was taught to me of doing a bracket of all the different things you're looking for in a career. And uh, that led me to doing what I'm doing. So uh, thank you, not just for this uh, chat, but for your influence. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you again, Nathan. And please keep up the great work. We are so proud to associate with you and grateful for what you shared with everybody today. Thank you, Dan. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 
at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.